depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange brain, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same, but we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 Sunnies. I'm Katie Dahl, and this is Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. You know, the rest of us that are tired of all the stupid, normal, self-help mumbo-jumbo. I'm here to talk to some funny, weird people who tell it like it is, and not talk down to you, just talk like normal people, right? So this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a person who is very passionate about your mental health, and I'm here to make you feel less alone. Today's episode is really important. It's something that everyone of every gender or walk of life deals with, bodies. I interview actor, writer, body positivity coach, and speaker, Kate Huffman. She wrote and starred in I'm Too Fat for This Show, which I actually had the pleasure of seeing in the before times. It was a one-woman show that toured all around the world about her experiences with eating disorders and learning to love her body. And somehow, she made it very funny. And now she is using all of her knowledge through that journey to help others to heal. So some other things that we discussed in this episode that can be applied to everything, not just to body image issues, is thought work, rewiring your brain. Spoiler alert, your thoughts are not truth or fact. They are something that your brain chooses, and you can choose a different thought. So... That's a real aha moment, if there ever was one. And I think that this will be something that you all really will enjoy. After you're done listening to the episode, please check out at Crying Behind Pod on Instagram or our private Facebook support group, facebook.com slash group slash Crying Behind Pod. If you want to learn more about Kate and the mission that she's on, you can check out the episode guide, which is cryingbehindpod.com. All right, without further ado, here's that episode. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. Uh, today, I am super stoked about my next guest. Uh, she is an award-winning actor and writer and also a body positivity coach and speaker. Please welcome Kate Hoffman. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here and for taking the time. How are you feeling today? I felt like crying behind sunglasses all day long. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. Sorry. How lame to just, uh, but no, I am doing very well, but I I feel like there was part of the day where my eyeballs were doing that thing pulsing where they like wanted to cry. So I was like, wow, how appropriate that I'm going on this podcast later. Well, good. I mean, listen, I'm basically like an unlicensed therapist. So you know, like I'm here. You could just let it all out, you know? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm too, I'm really quite, I'm doing great. Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to be doing fully great considering the state of the world and all the uncertainty. Completely. I think things have been heavy since, uh, RBG a few days ago. That's been kind of sitting on a lot of people. Um, I don't know when this is airing, but that's when it happened. But yeah, I think it's really great to kind of be in tune with being able to feel a little heavy for a day and also have a lot of gratitude for a lot of things and feel motivated and inspired and 
be able to walk that balance. And that's just kind of what was happening for me today. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, I feel the same. I feel like also that um, a lot of self-help things, I don't know if you've noticed this because you're in the uh, kind of in a self-help space with the self-help space. Yeah. Yeah. With what you're doing. Um, I've noticed that sometimes this culture of positivity and all the like positive thoughts can be kind of toxic in a way because they're like, oh, if you have any negative thoughts, it's bad. If you have any negative emotions, you have yeah. to immediately fight them. And it's like, well, sometimes you need to feel bad and just let yourself feel bad. Yes, absolutely. It's about, it's about letting go of what that means about you. Like feeling bad doesn't make you bad. Right. Is that just, what it was, so kind of just trying to slow down the spiral of, oh, well, I feel bad today. That means I'm unproductive. That means I'm worthless. And that means I've never done anything good in my life and I shouldn't have been born. And it's just, <laughs> I just caught my necklace on the table trying to illustrate how far down I was spiraling. Um, but instead just, yeah, being compassionate towards yourself uh, and being with yourself while you're in that space and saying, you don't have to change anything right now. I love you. I'm here with you. We got this. Just chill out. Do whatever you got to do today. That's mm-hmm. kind of. So do you say, I approach it. Do, so do you like talk to yourself in your head a lot like yes. this? Yes. Yes. I've never gotten so quickly into that seemingly bizarreness. Um, it's not bizarre. I, I mean, I do this- a lot of my clients. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, um, so yeah, you mentioned that I'm a body image coach, yes. and that's which is a relatively new element of my life. Um, and it emerged out of having done a solo show on my decades of eating disorders and OCD and chronic pain and anxiety and all the things. Yes, um, I remember. I'm too fat for this show. I was actually going to bring that up. Uh, yeah, because I remember watching you. I, I saw it um, when oh, you did cool. it at, at IO West. Um, a while ago, and I remember yeah. just watching you. And you, you're a force of nature up there. I mean, oh, I was, I just, it was one of those shows that you don't forget. It's very difficult to make a one person show interesting and <laughs> captivating. And it's also a very challenging subject matter because it's all about eating disorders. And I remember going into the show and thinking, oh, like, I know this is at a comedy theater, but is this even going to be funny? Like, is this just going to be sad the whole time? Which is also okay, you know, but somehow you, you managed to take this very difficult topic of eating disorders and make it funny. So (laughs) thank you. I don't know how you did that, but that's uh, off to you. <laughs> thank you. Well, uh, I really wanted to. I mean, this was stuff that I kept behind a wall of shame for decades. Um, mm-hmm. Just horribly ashamed of the fact that I had an eating disorder, also ashamed of my body. Just the spiral of shame and self-loathing was the general state of my existence. And once I decided to tell that story, I was just kind of trying to see if I could be of service in some way because it felt like I had wasted my life on this stuff. I knew it had to be funny because I had never seen an eating disorder show, a show about that subject matter that made any sense to me where I could really relate to the person. It just felt like everything was super heavy and pushing the audience away. So certainly not inviting anybody in to understand, you know, and it's that heavy just kind of being like, oh my God, oh my God. Okay. I get what this is. It's like, no, you don't. 
if we're if we allow people to laugh a little bit and it's not making light of it at all it's like this is serious shit but we can laugh at it because we all have our shit right um once you let once people let their guard down then you can kind of hit them with some truths and they can kind of absorb it better yeah that was the goal and yeah it was hard i'd say the first draft was 95% 95% shitting on myself. <laughs> I read it out loud to one person and was like, oh, no one's going to be able to take that, are they? And he's like, no. And I was like, I can't even stand reading it. So throw it out, back to the drawing board, ruling process, but I'm happy with the results. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you went all over the world with it. You played a lot of different festivals. Yeah, um, yeah. It was great. Thank you. And and that was what kind of led to the next thing was it, it, it let people's guard down. Once the shame goes away, once I was willing to be vulnerable, audience members would come up to me in all these different cities and tell me about all of their, like not just eating disorders, people with any kind of mental health issue or just any human being was like, wow, I didn't know I was going to relate to a show about eating disorders, but you know, I have always had this issue or that issue or whatever. And certainly people with friends or family with eating disorders were grateful for the show. Um, and then people would ask me for advice, help and talk backs in various cities. I'd be sitting on stage and they'd say, what can you do to help someone going through this? And, um, I was, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Did you watch the show? I don't have it figured out. <laughs> Cause when I was doing the show, I did not have it figured out. That wasn't the point but, of the show. But, but that was part of you figuring out, I think like, I mean, you, because you're a performer. And like a lot of times if you're an artist, at least for me, um, uh, when I'm doing my art, it is, it's helping me figure out the stuff that I'm going through. And maybe it was the same for you. Kind of. I didn't expect that. It was more like I had to look at it on the computer every day and be like, what's wrong with you? I can't believe this is the life you live. <laughs> but, but that's what it wound up being because first off, I felt like I had been of service and that gave me a burgeoning sense of an unfamiliar feeling that I didn't know how to identify until I was like, wait a second, is this self-worth? I had no idea. (laughs) Oh my God, everybody, everyone, go get yourself some self-worth. It feels really nice. (laughs) And I'm not saying you have to air all of your secrets in public in order to gain self-worth. Everybody deserves it right now in this moment. We all have inherent value. But that kind of gave me the strength to actually start taking a look at some of these things. I didn't think it was possible to change. I didn't think it was possible to change the way that I thought my OCD brain, my OCD brain that was obsessed with counting every calorie that was going to forever have body dysmorphia and hate her body and have to push through tons of chronic pain in order to get through a workout and then spend the rest of the day on the ground, unable to move. Like that was just going to be my life. And it was all my own fault. And, you know, never thought that would change. But once other people were saying they had the same stuff going on. That's when it really started to hit me. And I had enough self-worth to be brave enough to kind of look at it, to figure out how to give people actual tangible advice that might actually be helpful. And that's when I went deep into thought work, mindfulness, meditation, started diving into this body positivity, body acceptance stuff, wound up getting certified, designing courses and workshops and coaching in this area of body acceptance, which is so mind-blowing to a Kate from just five years ago. (laughs) She'd be like, no way, that's not where she's going. You know, 
watching your journey has, for lack of a better word, I know that that's like such a journey. It's been a journey. Yeah, it's just been very inspiring to watch because you have gone from being the victim of this thing who's just kind of shouting about your suffering, right? And then into being able to become empowered and to not only become empowered, but then share that knowledge with others. And that's, that's like full circle because you're, you're giving it back. Yeah, it's nuts. And then it makes it feel like every step of the way was all part of leading me here you know mm-hmm. um a lot of years of madness are like that's exactly how they had to go yeah and this universe just unfolded things not even I didn't plan on any of it it all just kept unfolding until here I am and it's been so wonderful because I get to work with mostly women from absolutely every walk of life every decade of life I've had women's in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s as clients or in my, in my courses. And everybody carries these freaking stories around their bodies so powerfully. And so just, it governs so much of so many of our lives and it robs us of our power so much. And it's so important that we find a way to steer our brains away from it because it's programmed into our minds when we are so young, so little, we are programmed to find our flaws and focus on them and believe that we're not allowed to have anything or achieve anything until we fix them. And because of that, we put all this energy into it and the patriarchy is reinforced. Less women run for office because of these things. Less women are doing public service. Less women can go after their career goals. Like it's very, very real. Wow our energy, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't even, it's interesting to hear you extrapolate it so far, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think about it and you think, okay, well, yeah, society tells us that women's bodies need to look a certain way. Fine. Okay. Then it's hard to get dressed in the morning. It's hard to feel good about trying to lose weight or whatever it is we're trying to do, right? You don't think about it going out into, oh, it's going to affect your career and all these other things, but it makes sense because it it truly Go ahead. It, it, sorry, if, if all those thoughts are occupying your brain space, then how can you possibly use your brain for all these other powerful things you could be doing? A hundred percent. And our money too. We spend more money on diet culture and beauty products than our education when all really? is said and done. Yes. Easily. God. Easily. Easily. Wow. Is this like, is there a study that I can look at? I had no idea about that. Oh, there's tons of studies. Yes. There are lots of studies on, on this stuff. I mean, first off, weight loss is a billion, 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 billion dollar industry. One Mm. of the most powerful industries out there. And then the beauty industry on top of it, add all of that up. Yes. Oh my gosh. We probably spend over the, over a lifetime, like 10 times as much as we do on our education. Yeah. Um, People probably women invest in that more than than they do in their businesses. But I mean, and there's also this notion that part of it is, you know, the woman tax. You kind of have to invest in makeup, for instance, that men don't have to pay for, or you're not going to be taken seriously as a professional. Like that, that doesn't feel like an option unless, except very few select jobs, perhaps. Um, yeah. But that aside, like the desperate need to control the shapes of our bodies in order to succeed, it zaps us of financial energy as well as all the mental energy that yeah. we were just talking about. So 
I was actually on your group. So there's um there's a Facebook group that Kate started called Body Positivity for People with Bodies, which what a great title. Thank um, you. And it, yes, if you're listening and you have a body, come join us. It's it's nice because uh, there are all different kinds of posts where people are either sharing negative or positive things about their bodies or mm-hmm. looking for advice, offering tips and tricks. Well, someone posted in there today and I was thinking about it and I've actually thought about this a lot recently. Weirdly for me, I haven't suffered from eating disorders in the past, but I am in the entertainment industry. And obviously like we have a ton of pressure to keep our bodies looking a certain way. So I remember I used to always have this habit of like lifting up my shirt when I look in the mirror and like checking out my belly almost every single day, just like looking at it, assessing Mm -hmm. it, and then deciding from there. Oh yeah. It was going to go, which is a hundred percent. So silly. And during quarantine, I don't know what happened, but I stopped doing that. I didn't really try to stop. It just stopped. I don't know. Wonderful. That's really great. (laughs) See that, that I think I started that group right at the start of quarantine because I, I knew certainly for myself that old issues were coming up, old neural networks were surfacing that I thought I had completely rewired, but boy, they love to surface. And I had nothing to do but sit in my body and the gyms were gone. And when you have body dysmorphia, you actually will feel the parts of your body that you feel are wrong. Mm-hmm. You, you just kind of feel them growing. If it's, if, if you're, if most people with body dysmorphia suffer from this perception that they are fatter than they are, and that fat is bad. Fat for the record is not bad, but they believe that because we are taught that. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, it can come in a yeah. lot of different shapes and forms, just kind of like you're not objectively looking at yourself in the mirror. You're not seeing what other people are seeing. You're seeing yeah. something else that you perceive as negative, right? And and yeah, not even the seeing, just the literal feeling of your mm. body, feeling mm-hmm. it, feeling my stomach all the time, a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And so it's called body checking. And yes, certainly we look in mirrors constantly, but also it can be feeling for certain bones, like making sure certain bones are still protruding the the right amount or squeezing certain parts of your body, pulling at your body, putting on a certain pair of jeans just to to check on it and then putting them away. And it's a very, it's very common behavior. And yeah, that takes up a lot of mental energy. And that's what we're thinking about. We got to make sure we're keeping that thing in check, keeping our body monitored at all times. And it's a, it's when we're doing that, we are not thinking of, being of service. We're not thinking of whatever screenplay we want to write. We're not thinking about how to do something kind for somebody. We're not thinking about anything else, but that. Yeah. So these are the reasons that it's important to start doing the work. And the work is, as you were saying earlier, to kind of go back, not to go straight to body positivity. That is what it's called. And I know that that actually that term has started to get kind of a bad rap because it has been co-opted in a number of ways in some ways to support diet culture like there are people saying body positivity and then selling a weight loss program or something it's like "Mm, that doesn't work nope mm -mm, that's not how it goes yeah (laughs) yeah you want to start with just body neutrality so shifting and I hate my body to just I have a human body that's it to this is my body being able to go I hate my stomach to hey that's a human stomach great let me get on about my day there's something to me very powerful about just making it human, right? Yeah. Because we do kind of seem to know that humans have a wide variety of shapes and sizes, and that's what makes us interesting and great, just like every other species. 
Um, yeah. And also I, what I've thought about too, is rather than thinking about the shape of my body, I can think about what my body can do. Right. Yeah. At least for me, I know maybe that's for people with disabilities, maybe it's not a good thing, but if you're, if you are able-bodied thinking about like, oh, I feel strong. I feel like I can do so much. I can make such a difference in the world or things like for that. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it works for anybody in any body for sure, because everybody's body's doing something for them. Everybody's body is, I mean, at the heart of things like body, you are kicking so much ass at filtering my blood right now like kidneys way to go I'm not even thinking about it and you are filtering my you are filtering my blood out for me that is amazing like these are things you can shift to as well I mean because it is so it's impossible for us not to take our health for granted Mm. because like right now you we are zooming it looks like your eyes are fine yeah my eyes are fine so we're not thinking about our eyes at all but if one of us got pink eye then we'd be like, oh, all those days that I didn't appreciate how nice it was to have a clean, non-infected eye. So just little things like that are great things to shift to, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because my relationship with my body changed a lot when I got carpal tunnel in my wrist oh, wow. because... I had to learn to be patient because a really intense injury to the point where I couldn't really work. I was doing video editing a lot and that's kind of how I got it because Mm -hmm. it was just a repetitive stress injury, et cetera, et cetera. And I couldn't do yoga anymore because the main pose in yoga, downward facing dog really puts a lot of strain on your wrist. And so I had to be like kind of okay with being less quote unquote in shape because I couldn't work out as much. I couldn't do the same things I was doing before. And I had to ice it and heat it. And like you said, you, you take it for granted until it doesn't work. And then I was like, oh my God, like being able to actually write in my journal or type on a computer, those are things that I <sighs> took for granted mm-hmm. that I all of a sudden, and journaling for me is very connected to my mental health and I try to do it every day, but like it is still, I mean, it's, it, this injury probably will never be gone, gone. It's just kind yeah. of a managing of it. And, uh, I've learned to be very grateful for my hand <laughs> and my yeah. wrist and when yeah. they're actually working. And it's easy to forget. I've lost use of every joint at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't have arms for like three years. Um, so I didn't have carpal tunnel, but I had, I had repetitive strain injury all through my arms as well. And I couldn't, I couldn't make a bed. I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't hold a dish. It was just throbbing, burning pain for a good three years. Because in the beginning, I was still deeply entrenched in an eating disorder. And I still had to, to, to work out. I, like, I, I had to push through pain. Like, there was no option. I would die if I didn't. It was a very extreme panic attack, OCD kind of thing. So it had to be done. And so I was just making it worse and worse and worse and worse until it was just that, no, they won't function. Additionally, I found out since doing the show that I've had Lyme disease all these years. So that, that will eat your joints any day of the week. I just thought it was all my fault for working out too much, but that doesn't make any sense. It was Lyme disease. I just didn't give myself a chance to get diagnosed. But since I have lost every single joint at a various point, it's another thing to just kind of when if you find yourself feeling bad in your body because one goal is to instead of making it a whole bad body day let's see if we can make it a bad body moment let's just mm-hmm. see if we can shift away from it a bit right rather than sit in body hatred all day long mm-hmm. 
And so then it's like, sometimes I'll try to just look at people's ankles and be like, man, remember when you didn't have ankles? I'm so happy you're working ankles. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Remember when and you that didn't have sense. ankles? <laughs> I, did, I know, I know. I, and it's silly that I say it that way. It's, I shouldn't say it that way because, you know, words have power. I did have arms for those three years. They just <laughs> functional. And I did have ankle. I did have ankles and I did have knees. They just, I lost use of them. No, it's okay. I mean, I understand. Like you have detachable arms. You're I do. superhuman. And I lost um, them. I'm, I mean, I swear I'd lose my neck if it weren't screwed on. Thankfully, my head isn't detachable, but the rest of my limbs... Whew. Oh my Good god, luck. you just reminded me of that song. Do you remember this stupid Detachable song? Penis? Yes. <laughs> I know that's where you're going. <laughs> Detachable. I don't even remember how it goes. I wish I remember the, the melody. It's I'm... all speaking. It's like all speaking. Yeah. I found my penis in a drawer. It has some dust on it. It's going <laughs> back on. And I thought, man, sure glad I found my detachable penis. <laughs> yep. 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 You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Not the right words. That's just kind of the general. No, that's the vibe, though. Yeah, and it's uh, a weird ass song. It weird is a ass weird song. Sometimes I do wish I had a detachable arm. Like you know, when you're trying to spoon with someone, and there's always that extra arm that you're like, this like should. Oh sure, sure, sure. That would be helpful. Yeah, for those like, moments only. So nice until suddenly it's super not nice, and rather than <laughs> break it, just. <laughs> Get that out of here. Yeah, 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 totally. Hey, sunnies. So if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've either been to therapy, you are on your way to a therapy appointment sometime soon, or you really want to be going to one. And it's tough when we can't go in person, right? And it's tough to be able to research and find all those therapists online. Like, how do you sort through all these different profiles and figure it out? Well, guess what? I'm here to help because a sponsor of this podcast, BetterHelp, has really great resources for you. If you go to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod, I have a really great deal for Crying Behind Sunglasses listeners where you get 10% off your first month. When you join, you take a quiz and they will match you with a therapist who is best suited to your needs. So if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or you want to have a certain kind of therapy, then they can find that for you. All of the therapy can be done over video chat phone calls. You can send messages to your therapist anytime that you want. So it's very accessible from wherever you live in the world. You don't have to worry about making it to an appointment because you can do it from the comfort of your own home or wherever you are. So yeah, check it out. Betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod. So if you're in the entertainment industry like me, you may have noticed that productions are starting to pick back up again. People are beginning to figure out how to film things in this quote-unquote new normal. And if you're an actor, you might be thinking like, how can I get back in? How can I maybe redo my packaging to get a new agent or new manager or put myself out there again after taking off so much time after so many months? Well, I am really happy to say that a partner of this podcast, Thriving Actor is a really great place to go. They have all kinds of resources to figure out how to get re-inspired, Q&As with industry professionals, and resources to help you market yourself better in this crazy, totally 
weird industry. So yeah, if you want to check it out, it's thrivingactor.com. And they also have a free and very helpful and supportive Facebook group. Just search Thriving Actor on Facebook. I'm actually a member. I really enjoy it because you can post any question in there about your career and you'll get answers from people who are educated and who are really just there to help. So yeah, check it out. Thrivingactor.com. So I'm wondering for you in your own personal like relationship with your body what was the point that you said okay this is too much I need to to change what I'm doing because you said there were like there were three years where your arms weren't really working because you were working out too much you weren't treating yourself the right way but obviously Mm -hmm. like even though you might have been aware of it you it maybe took a while for you to turn things around was there something that inspired you to change well, again, it didn't happen until after doing the show. I mean, I would say that there was gradual healing, slowly but surely, throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the court. I was sick much longer than I realized. Mm-hmm. So I was severely, I had my first kind of devolution into anorexia at 14, and then I had another one somewhere around 20, and another one at like 22. And the worst was the first one, though. I didn't go into intense treatment again after that. But so for me, it's like, I know what really sick looks like. It looks like that. So all these other years where it's like, well, I'm not hospitalized, so I'm healthy. I'm fine. So I knew that I wasn't a normal person and I knew I was extremely restricted and I hated myself for it, but I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't have thought that like the anorexic would have applied to me, but it probably did for many years beyond what I associated with just looking back retrospectively. But I, never imagined a world I never imagined to be free of it like there's a part in my show since you've seen it where I'm like this is my life this is my forever <laughs> life I don't see an end to it that's that's the, those are the words because I didn't and so it had to have come after the first tour that I did and I had faced that question I told you about earlier several times I got back in town in 2017 and my foot snapped walking down the street. There's a tendon just snapped mm. and I panicked because I had to work out every single day of my life, every single day, no days off, which is not good for anybody. Even fitness professionals will tell you that's not good. And I knew that, but I had to do it. So it felt like the universe was like, Hey, you're going to have to do something about this whole do as I say, not as I do stuff. Going to have to face this shit lady. I didn't. I swam obsessively. I ate what, like I did whatever I could to control (laughs) my body still. Then that healed. And for two, for six glorious weeks, I had two feet. And then I flew to Scotland. I was going to take, I was taking my show a couple other places. And the day I landed, I injured the other foot. Wow. And then the other ankle just snapped. So then it felt like the universe was totally like, Hey, husband, listen to us. So I did the show God, in Ireland. I was like hobbling around on these weird European crutches. They have different crutches in Europe. I what do they look like? like? They look like, I mean, they look, this sounds terrible. They look like Tiny Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, is it like around, they, they, yeah, they go like around your arms. So they look like a, an extension of your arm and they're great. They're vastly superior. You don't get sore behind your, underneath your armpits, but. But you felt silly. 
well, I felt silly doing my show on them. I only did it one night. The other three, the other seven nights, how many shows did I do there? I just hopped around on a painful foot, but. That's badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the point of this story. Well, no, Please. I just, I just, think, I think about like, there's a lot of rock stars that that happens to where they're like, oh, I got a broken foot. I'm still going to do, do the show. Yeah. That's how it was though. I mean, I was in Ireland to do my show I didn't want to not do it right and that first night was awful because I was I think I just I tried to to incorporate the crutches and talk about them and I think I just confused everybody in the audience (laughs) very confused that night the rest of the the rest of the run was amazing and and people loved it and started selling out and great but that first night was like oh boy Ireland hates me Dublin hates Kate Huffman (laughs) no no no, not at all that's just how it felt we are fickle performers but the point was after that I was like this is it enough is enough you're gonna figure this out you're gonna you're gonna be with your body and not go anywhere and I couldn't go anywhere that time it was my right foot so I couldn't drive and I kind of fell down this wormhole of quantum physics and because I was just at home alone sure. doing nothing and kind of started letting that cross over into that weird world where quantum physics and self-help overlap. So yeah. you start talking about the heart of an atom and how much everything is energy and all this energetic healing we can do within ourselves and changing our thought patterns. And then that shifts into well, I've been meditating for many, many years before that, but kind of shifting into a weirder, trippier, quantum physics-based type of meditation. And uh, then I was reborn on a new planet. I'm just kidding. Um, It's okay if you're not, I mean, I actually, it's okay if you're not kidding, because I'm very open-minded. So that would be cool if I was not kidding, but I I was, I was not reborn on a new planet. That will happen next year. I don't know. down, you know, depending on where we go with our future, I will figure out a way to make that happen. Well, if you if you get there, send me a ticket. You got it. I'll let you know. Yeah. So that's when that path. That's that's when this this newer path started happening, and I could be in my body. I could live with my body. I could um, see the lies of diet culture for what they were, which I had been able to do for a decade, but could see them strongly enough to actually say no more saying I know this, but I can't apply it to me. No more saying everybody else on the planet should love their body, live in their body, not want to change their body, except that human bodies are as diverse as trees. That's what makes trees awesome. That's what makes us awesome. Because I would know that and say that and then look at my own body and go, God, I've got to fix this. And that act, that thought in itself is a body shaming activity to others. It is, it is. And because, yeah, it's so easy what you said. It really resonates because I think for myself, it's very easy for me to look at any other person's body and think that it's beautiful and it's perfect just the way it is. But it was a long journey for me to think the same thing of myself. It's like, oh yeah, everyone else is allowed to look however they want and I celebrate them. But for me... I got one little extra pound here or there. No, unacceptable. I am no longer a valid member of this society. Please lock me away. Yeah, (laughs) completely. That's also, I wrote an article about this, how body dysmorphia 
it's so hard to be around body dysmorphic women who are constantly talking about how fat they are, et cetera, when they're very small. And I say that as the person who was that forever, a very tiny person, very vocal about how fat she was. But truly, completely and utterly kind of having this blindness to that because just seeing other people around me as completely and utterly beautiful and perfect and not imagining any world in which my words would be affecting them because I was this horrible lump of a human who shouldn't have existed and who couldn't be virtuous enough to get her body in order, which of course is the first thing we're supposed to do. And then we move on past other things. It seems like such a shot, like a vain thing, but it, it but it, it isn't. It's, it's about accomplishing the goal that we were taught very young that we have to accomplish in order to have the right to exist basically. So I thought everyone else obviously has the right to exist. So they're allowed to look like anything they want. And they look like goddesses and wonderful people. And it's like, gosh, wow. I was so blind to how aggressively uh, that, that is such an aggressive assault on the people around me to be complaining about my body size around other people who are, who are bigger. It's like, how are they not supposed to internalize that to think, wow, well, you must really think I need to change then. Right. Even if I actively say to them, no way, you don't need to change. You're perfect. Look at you. It just, it's just such a disconnect in a truly deeply body dysmorphic person's head. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause if you put yourself down, but in their eyes, they're like, uh, you would be my hashtag body goal. Why are you complaining? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It does hurt them even if they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And it's so weird. I did, it's just so weird that I was like, no way, that's not, no, no. They can see what I'm talking about and they can see that it's a problem here, but not over there. So is that what helped you to change? Cause you were able to see like, oh, okay. What I'm doing isn't just hurting myself. It's also hurting others. Yeah. It's one of many, 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 many thought work tools that I, I that I, I, so I deal in, in, something called thought work, which is recognizing that our thoughts aren't truths. They feel like truths. They feel like facts. We've had them so many times that our brains, our brains make them happen so fast that they feel factual when they are not, they are chosen and therefore we can choose other ones. Right. Absolutely. But you have to slow them down to look at them. So the thought that I have to lose weight, that can feel like a fact for a lot of people. But that's not a fact. There is a circumstance. The circumstance is you are this weight. That's a fact, right? You can mm-hmm. have any thought about that. I'm the perfect weight. My weight is irrelevant to anything. I have to lose weight. You know, you can have any, you can, all of them are available to you. Sure. But so having the thought, I need to lose weight, there's all these questions you can apply to the thought. Simple ones are things like, is that true? Can I be 100% certain that that's true? Others are, would you ever say this to someone else? How would you feel if someone else said it to you? What could you say instead? This is a series of questions that I teach that goes through, what could you say instead? Why would someone say that to you? And what could I have thought instead? You walk through that series and you kind of end up with a more neutral thought. That's, um, that's so awesome. I was going to ask you about that. That was on my little topics list is like rewiring negative thought patterns because yeah. I think that can be applied to pretty much any human on this planet, regardless of what their problem is. It's not just for people with body image issues. It's also 
for people like me, my main thing, like I like to think of mental health problems as kind of a salad bar. You know, we've all got our own oh yeah little combo <laughs> that we we're dealing with. Uh, so for me, so mine is mostly like anxiety, panic disorder, and then like you know maybe a sprinkling of some other stuff depending on the day. But those are my main ones. And I think a meg uh, this podcast was born out of me rewiring probably the biggest negative thought that I ha- had in my life, which was that my anxiety is holding me back from success and that I need to hide it from everyone. Yes. And that's what yes, I guess. Yes, as in, I'm excited that you're about to rewire this. Go on. Right. Well, I did for myself yeah. uh, about a year that's and a half ago. But it was something that I, uh, like, my friends all knew that I had that issue, right? But I didn't really talk about it publicly. I had a lot of things that I was going through privately, and I felt so alone. I felt like such a weirdo. I felt broken, and I felt like I'm not going to be successful. And even if I am successful, I'm going to get to that dream thing that I really want, and then I'm going to have a meltdown. I'm going to lose it. I used to have, this was a whole crazy movie that I had made up in my head that was not based in reality, but like you said, you think it's a fact because your brain tells you so often. And I was able to rewire that and instead say, instead of, oh, my anxiety is holding me back from my success. What if I was successful because of it? I know that's weird. That sounds great. That's great. No, it sounds amazing. (laughs) And so then I was like, okay, well, how, what does that look like? And immediately I thought, well, what if, what if I was really successful in whatever it is that I want to do in life? And I also shared about how I did, how I did, even though I do have anxiety and how, like, and what if that was able to inspire other people who have the same problem I have, that feels good. Right. And, and that feels like I'm helping others. It feels a lot less selfish. And I didn't immediately think of it being a podcast. At first, I thought it would be maybe a book, but I did immediately think of the crying behind sunglasses thing because I was always leaving therapy sobbing. Uh, <laughs> and it's fine. You got to process, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, if you can boil down whatever your worst, deepest negative thought is about yourself and figure out a way. Like for me, even though I thought of it, when I was able to say it out loud to other people and then have them help me like figure out the opposite, Mm -hmm. it was a complete game changer for me. Yes. I'm very impressed. What You went straight to super positive. So not There's immediately. Something. It took me a while, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, okay. No, that's a big leap because what you did is you took like the bottom of a thought terrace and a top of a thought terrace. Well, they're most often taught as thought ladders, but I call them thought terraces because terrace, like a terraced garden, as you move up it, every stage is beautiful and you can see a beautiful view from wherever you are on this terrace. So it's not so much like this teetery ladder that you have to get to the top to. So the stressful thought was, I can't be successful because of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the top thought was, I will be successful because of my anxiety, or I am successful because of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. But you build steps in between that don't feel like such a leap for your brain. Because if you go to the exact opposite, your brain is very likely going to be like, that's garbage. That's bullshit. Get out of here. Go away. I didn't get there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. no. Oh, I didn't okay. get there immediately. So I would say, like, because when I was doing it, it was like a homework exercise that I had for an acting class. And I was like, oh, cool. 
and so they wanted us to go from bad bad thoughts to good thoughts. And so the thought was, my anxiety is holding me back from my success. And the only opposite thought that I could think of by myself was like, oh, well, I'll overcome my anxiety so that I can be successful or like I'll be successful despite my anxiety. And it didn't feel great, but it did feel better than the other one. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I brought that into the class, I was like, well, this is the bad thought. This is the other thought that I thought of instead, but it doesn't feel very empowering to say like, oh, I'm going to be successful despite my anxiety. It still makes me feel like there's something wrong with me and that mm-hmm. it's bad. So it like took a little while to kind of yeah. figure it out. And I wasn't able to do it by myself. Sure. Well, that's what, that's what coaches are for. (laughs) But um, it's true. It's hard to get, it's hard to see them sometimes. It's really hard to build these terraces. Sometimes a good thought to shift to are othering. You want to build neutral thoughts, then like mildly positive thoughts, and then get up to that positive thought. And Mm -hmm. you don't move up the terrace until you can truthfully resonate with a new thought. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It has to be true. You have to believe it. You can't just sit there all night and say these affirmations that you're not believing. But if you just said lots of people, lots of successful people have anxiety. Yeah. Because your brain can believe that because it's very true. And it's just a slight shift. I'm never, my anxiety is holding me back. Lots of successful people have anxiety. It's just the slightest shift so that you can't let that thought hold you back so much. And then once you get really, really used to immediately going to that, having that feel true and letting you move on, then you can move up a little bit further. My anxiety and success can coexist. My anxiety Together. and success can coexist. Yeah. Like they're not mutually exclusive. We can, right. Mm-hmm. It, it can both be there. Uh, yeah. Cause I think you can probably acknowledge this as well with whatever it is that you deal with personally and your own mental health. But for me, it, I don't feel like there's uh, ever a point where I will be cured or it's not part of my life, you know, and I don't like to think that because I don't like to think that there's something wrong with me. I just think like, okay, yeah, my brain is wired differently. It's important for me to acknowledge that so I can take care of it all the time. But like you said, that's not like, that doesn't prevent me from also being a full person with a full life that wants to accomplish things and be happy. Absolutely. Yes. Walk in a freer space. Continue as we go to experience more and more freedom from that, more and more peace with it. Just, yeah. just being peace at peace with it and loving yourself unconditionally for it. Being your own best friend at every single minute. Oh my gosh. Way early on, you asked me about talking to myself and I don't think I ever really got... <laughs> know that I ever actually answered it. Oh no, it's um, fine. I thought it was great. I think what what it struck me, I forget exactly how we got into it, was that you said either that you you tell your clients to do this or that you do this where you say I love you to yourself. Oh, and I don't think I do that often enough. So I'm wondering how did you get to that point? Sure. I went through a rough breakup and a lot of things were going wrong all at once. And I, I, this was at the time when I didn't have my arms. So, you know, I had pulled them right off and left them on a bus somewhere. (laughs) Um, So I couldn't work any of my day jobs. I had been writing and I couldn't work. So I I didn't have any money. My agents dropped me. So suddenly I didn't have my acting career. I had just been dumped. It was one of those breakups that you lose your friend group as well. And it just felt like every area of my life had gone horribly wrong. And I was in such a state of 
distress. I couldn't leave my apartment. I was on an adrenaline rush for at least a week of just wide awake adrenaline rush. Like my body was like, we are under attack. Your whole world has changed. What are you supposed to do? You know, then my hair started falling out. Oh my God, it was so intense. And I had to learn to be with myself without feeling like I was going to die. I felt like I was going to die anytime I was alone. And which is so weird because I've always valued my alone time. It was one of my favorite things prior to being in a relationship. I spent my, my yeah, anyway. Um, and now it's one of my favorite things on the planet again. But um, but I relate to that. I get it. Because when you I were, couldn't do it. Yeah, I actually, I, I think that um, earlier this year when I went through a, a tough breakup and like mm-hmm. everything changed and then the lockdown happened, I had a very similar experience where I, I, I live alone right now and I didn't want to be alone. I literally drove out to be yeah. with my parents because I just didn't trust myself to be alone. It felt mm-hmm. terrifying because I think it's a natural human reaction when, when all those dominoes fall for you, yeah. like you're saying, yeah. your body's not working, your age and stuff, your breakup is like, yeah, of course your body is going to freak out. Your brain is going to freak out. That's a, that's a natural human reaction. And yeah. we are meant to be in community, especially when we're not yeah. feeling good about ourselves. Yeah. You know? Yes. But we also, you're going to be with you till the minute you die you're be with yourself <laughs> for the rest of your life. So if you can learn to truly be your best friend and truly love yourself, you will never be lonely. You will always have your favorite company right there with you, which sounded, which that would sound insane to me. Uh, the person who deeply, I mean, I'm talking deeply and fully hated everything about myself for the majority of my life felt inherently wrong to say anything nice about myself, like calling this guy red or whatever. It was just so false that it felt wrong to even allow someone else to say it was, it was very deep, but I sat next to myself. I also like pulled a version of myself out and sat it next to me on the couch and forced myself to kind of turn and look as Kate, who does not judge anyone else. I'm so wonderfully accepting of others and I just, I just don't judge people. I accept people for their flaws. That's what makes people human. So I had to look with this non-judgmental perspective at the thing next to me and ask myself, why would someone hang out with this? Like, what's good about this thing next to me? Like, just what value could there possibly be in this thing next to me that I'm looking at? And after looking for a while and truly looking from that space, I was like, oh, okay, well, she's really nice. And, um, you know, she cares about people. That's cool. That's a quality I like in people. Um, she's actually really smart and funny. Yeah. Yeah. She would make me laugh. Um, yeah. Okay. And she's messed up. That's okay. Lots of people are messed up. Man. Okay. She's not terrible. And I'm not saying it happened in one session. Like I spent some time on that. (laughs) Um, And it gets easier, but it gets really, really nice because you do kind of realize, God, we judge ourselves so harshly because we're like, well, nobody else knows what we know about us. But it's like that same quality in somebody else, you would not hate them for it. Right. Then at night, then at night, you do the same thing. Split yourself in half you kind of hold yourself either either picture yourself holding the imaginary one or the imaginary one is holding you and whispering like I love you Kate and I'm gonna be here with you for the rest of your life it's okay I'm here with you it's okay you know 
That's so. Sweet. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. I just had to do that at the at the height of that breakup many years ago now. So it's been a long time. But yeah, it just really genuinely starts to rewire your brain. And then this was all about seven years ago, I'd say. And I remember walking by a mirror one time and just kind of doing a double take and being like, "Hey, I'm proud of you." <laughs> it felt so funny, but it was so sincere and earnest. And then I was so giddy. I was so giddy because I'd never looked at myself in the mirror before and had a positive thought. And it came out of my mouth out loud. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> it was. And I even was like able to say like, what if you are such a dork and that was really cute and I'm proud of you for doing it. Let's get out of this public restroom now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it works. It works. So I do have clients experiment with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it is nice to check in with yourself, even if you're not looking in the mirror, you know, where you yeah. just take oh, those yeah. moments to really acknowledge how much work you've done or where, even if you haven't, even if you're at the beginning, just taking a breath and checking in and saying, you know what? You're doing a good job. You're Mm -hmm. trying. And like, that's, that's so important because awareness is the first step, I think, to any of this kind of work. So even that is so great because a lot of people just kind of sleepwalk through their lives going on autopilot and they're not even aware of the way that they think of themselves and how that might be damaging. So the fact that people are even showing up to do this work is worth celebrating. Thank you. I'm really glad you said that for celebrating yourself, even if you're at the very beginning of it or acknowledging yourself, even if you're at the very beginning of the work is really important because every single step of the way, even if it feels like you're not going anywhere, you're showing up to do the work. So that is success. That is movement forward. Even if it feels like it's movement backwards, it's not. And, and acknowledging yourself at all times for that is so important. So yeah. Thanks for yeah. Sharing. Yeah. I think I get that from yoga. I've been doing yoga literally most of my life and I used to teach for a while. And I think something I always hear in a lot of yoga classes that I used to tell people was it's like, you know what? You should say thank you to yourself for showing up on the mat today. Oh yeah. I've heard that in classes. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and I would love it. Cause then I do. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you know what? That is true. I am a badass. I made time for one hour to do something nice for myself. Absolutely. And even here, my body is here. We are both about to do this. Yeah. And you can kind of apply that to a lot of other things in your life. And if you take it a step further with the metaphor, it's like, yeah, okay. Maybe you're not doing the pose in the perfect yoga journal way today, but you're doing it you're trying and you're, it's affecting your body in a certain way. So great. Absolutely. And also for previous perfectionists, straight A uh, types, how wonderful that you can be fine with not doing it perfectly. Like even more of a reason to celebrate. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it's not perfect. All the more human. Great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah totally because yeah. yeah I remember when I used to teach or even now I because I still practice yoga and I'll talk about it sometimes with people and they'll be like oh well I can't do it I'm not flexible or I'm to this or I'm to that I'm like no actually you sitting there and breathing and just attempting the pose that's yoga that's literally it it's not like you have to be perfect at it to be considered doing yoga it's <laughs> literally just trying. That's all it is. Exactly the point. Yeah. <laughs> Showing um, up to do the work. 
Yeah. And then also like, there's the other thing where when you get really good at it, then you try to like slam your body into the perfect version of the pose, even though your body might not be there that day for whatever reason. So it's nice because the other part of the work is checking in and saying, Hey, like, what do I actually feel like doing today? Like, what does my body actually want today? Do I really want to go that hard or do I want to be a little softer with myself? That's a really important part of body acceptance in general because diet culture has cut our brains and our bodies apart and whenever we are given rules from some outsider about what's good and what's bad or from society at large about food and therefore we are dictating what we're allowed to give our body from this mental perspective that is shutting off cues from your body hardcore and particularly for anyone who's ever had severe eating disorders that disconnect is so strong it is so hard in the beginning it's still hard for me but in the beginning trying to actually listen for cues from my body in some way that was the most foreign impossible concept I could have ever come up with because I'd spent 20 years being like absolutely shut up you shut up no you cannot be hungry you cannot be tired you cannot be in pain stop it what do you want from me, body? Stop it. It just felt like this petulant child. And that's how we treat it. Terrible, terrible, terrible. But we do because we think we have to control it. So that actually, it's called interoceptive awareness. There's these spots of, I'm a neuroscience freak. So these interoceptive awareness spots in your brain get um, turned off. Like they can look and see that they've been turned off for anorexics and people who experience certain times of trauma And so it can happen to lesser or greater degrees to actually be able to listen in to what your body needs, what your body wants, what your body asks is a skill that many of us, even though we have it when we're young, have to learn to redevelop. And that is a slow, steady process. Yeah. I'm so sorry you went through that. And um, because it's, it's such a basic human need or human function to just be like, yeah, okay. I'm hungry. I need to eat. I'm tired. I need to sleep or rest. Right. And Mm -hmm. so to completely cut yourself off from that and then have to later in life, figure out how to connect that back together. That sounds so difficult. Like how did you begin? I'm guessing that maybe this is when you were in treatment or with a therapist. I don't know. How did you begin to be able to listen to your body and hear her saying, I'm hungry and like not Um, yell, not yell at her about that? (laughs) Yes. So hilariously, most of everything for me, I figured out on my own at the times when I was in really intense treatment we're talking the nineties treatment for eating disorders was not good. I did not have good experiences. They were very scarring. And most people from my generation that experienced them will have similarly scarring stories to tell from what I understand. It is much advanced and many people today come out of inpatient treatment centers and love their treatment and feel great. So there's that, but yeah, it has never been, even, even therapy for me has never been my, my, it's never done much for me, but I advocate for it. I know that it helps a lot of people, but for me, I had to learn all this stuff myself. And I, I became a very serious meditator at that same time that I went through that crazy process when, you know, my hair started falling When you out. lost everything. Yeah. It was just like a crazy time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was so bad that I, once the hair started falling out, that's what really did it for me. It was coming out in big handfuls, which can happen when you go through a traumatic stressful event, if you're whatever. But 
I was like, I can never, I just, it really, I became obsessed. If I left the house, I was just staring at people's scalps. I couldn't think about anything else. So because I was like, that's what a normal scalp looks like. Wait, that person's scalp is thinning. Wait, (laughs) I was just so obsessive. I was so obsessive. I couldn't, I would like go to a play and just stare at all the heads around me, feeling my hair falling out of my head. So I got, I had to get hypnotherapy and I got a hypnotherapist to come over and take me on these wonderful adventures. And it was like taking me to the most peaceful place I'd ever been. And I began to crave this thing. And really all that hypnotherapy is, is like a guided meditation. So from there, I began to crave guided meditations like crazy. And in time, I realized I needed to do meditation specifically for reconnecting to and listening to your body. Mm. And that's where that process began for me. And really, I didn't really truly do it until even getting certified for this stuff. That's why it's still new for me. intuitive eating is part intuitive eating and intuitive movement is part of it and like the early exercises that people would lead to get you to like listen to your body and ask it what it's hungry for I was like this isn't real (laughs) people don't do this there's no way this is an impossible task I had nothing I could not come up with a thing nothing so you I mean that's so interesting because everything I ate for so many years was completely prescriptive it was it was planned and monitored and curated and there were no I didn't know I didn't know what a craving was I didn't know what you know that was just not a thing because you didn't allow yourself to want those things it was just like okay like you said it's It's this time of day I get this that's it end of story wow yeah I yeah that sounds terrible and I'm glad that you were finally able to figure out like crack the code of oh what do I want and allowing yourself to want things and crave things. And that yeah. must have opened up a whole new world for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working on it. I have to say that is, that is a slow thing to heal because I'm 20 plus years, 23 years at least of living that way. And that is what is really crazy. That behavior, maybe not to very extreme, but that behavior is what is celebrated and rewarded in diet culture. Diet culture meaning that we live in a society where dieting is a normal thing, where it's normal to talk about all the diets that we're trying to control our bodies to lose weight, et cetera. It's not a normal thing. It's an inherently unnatural thing. It is inherently taking our brains, pulling it off, and trying to control our body shapes. There's nothing normal or healthy about that. And the only way to ever do it successfully is to develop disordered eating, and then you will be celebrated. When you lose weight and you walk into a party, people are going to be like, you did it. You nailed it. It's like, great. What did you do? You told your fuck body to shut up. <laughs> you can curse, like, Congratulations. You can curse. Oh, I know. I, I'm sorry. I, I do, I've been doing a lot of different podcasts and I had a feeling like I've been cussing. I just, I censored myself anyway. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. I know we're getting towards the end, but I just want to ask. Yeah, that's fine. As a, like a, just to put a, put a pin in that because like there is there a way in your opinion for someone to say like i want to get in shape and for them to actually lose weight without developing these disordered thoughts about themselves i am never going to advocate to have weight loss as a goal for right. anyone that doesn't mean you can't come work with me or go like with without with having that goal in mind because we can't control these things but if you look at the heart of that goal, it is, it is tied 
to our fat phobic culture that says that some body, body sizes are better than others, that a smaller body size is better than a bigger body size. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I always encourage people to develop a healthy relationship with food and not have weight loss as a goal. If there are health concerns, I don't subscribe to a weight-centric view of health. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that uh, there are many, many studies to show that weight is not really correlated with health. There are other markers of health. And if there are things that are happening in your body that you need to address that may come with behavioral changes, great. But don't measure the state of your health based on your weight. That there makes are sense. other markers that actually matter. So like d- get the scale out of it. Don't have, if a doctor tells you you have to lose weight, that is not medical advice. Mm-hmm. They haven't told you anything about what's going on with your body. Like, Right. Because if they say, oh, you're pre-diabetic, right, then Mm -hmm. that might be a situation where they tell you the only advice they might give you is lose weight, which that's not helpful, right? Right. Right. The advice to lose weight, to go on a diet, anything like that has about a two to 5% success rate. And they would never prescribe a medicine that has a two to 5% success rate. So, so what, would, what should they be telling their patients instead? Like you said, well, they should develop a different relationship with the, way, the food that they're eating, I guess? Potentially, potentially. Yeah. It, it might be dietary shifts. It might be movement. I don't, it might be medications. There's all possibilities, but it's mm-hmm. just not ever to change the shape of your body. Like it's, that's just not a part of it because that has tangible, measurable, toxic harm. Yeah. That has absolute that has been proven in study after study after study to lead to eating disorders, to lead to self-hate, to lead to shame, to lead to self-harm, to lead to death. Like people mm-hmm. get that bariatric surgery and that can lead to, to death. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, in patients. So that's, that's my, that's what I would say about that. Ultimately we cannot control our bodies. That is, it's an illusion. Our bodies are going to change. Bodies change. It's what they're meant to do. They yes. do it to us as a favor in fact, but I say all that, all that I'm saying to you about trying to remove weight loss as a goal and trying to live respectfully and peacefully in any body shape, that is thought work that we have to continue to do. I say that after admitting fully that there, I still have days, usually right before my period, where I think for a second, oh, I, I want to I lose weight. I've gained a lot of weight in quarantine. And then it's like, great. So why? Why do I want that? Because I believe that older version of myself was superior in some way, that, 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 the, that the body I had before quarantine started is more virtuous, is more desirable. What, what is it that I think about it? Somehow, I think that that body has more value than this current body. And that means that I believe that anybody in this body that I'm in right now should also be worried about changing it. And I don't believe that. So I can't really believe it for myself. So I'm going to be peaceful and respectful of this body. So if there were like behavioral things happening that were making me feel bad, like you were saying, that's a different story than address those things. Like address what you need to, to, to address to give yourself the most peace of mind. But I don't want to allow myself right now to say I need to severely restrict 
ask yourself what you have to sacrifice, what would I have to sacrifice to, to, to do that? And for me, it means a lot of pain because I have Lyme disease and working out is really painful. I still work out. I absolutely work out. I will never not work out. That is part of who I am. <laughs> but I can't work out as hard. I can't go like extra hours. I can't go extra, whatever. I'll hurt myself. Sure. And if I restrict it, then I can't have the energy to do the work I want to do. I, and I can't be present with my nephews. I get crazy about it. It will set off. So like, those are the things I have to ask myself in order to then shift to being at peace with who I am right now in this body. That was a very long answer. I love it. No, I'm all okay. the answer. So before we go, two different things okay. I'd like to ask my guests. The first thing I want to ask you is if you have a tough day, whether it's something with your work didn't go well, or you know, so you get into a fight with somebody or whatever it is, you have a tough day, you come home or you get to your bedroom, whatever. What is a hot tip. I like to call this a, this segment hot tips. Uh, what is what is a hot tip that you would give of like a way that you normally can change your mood? Whether that's like a song or an animal or your a TV show or something that is a way that you can kind of hack your brain to feel better. A meditation for me. Yeah, find a guided meditation on anything. Like there are guided meditations on absolutely anything. So you can get a guided meditation to just slow those neurons down for whatever it is that they're doing or pick them up. Then take a minute to examine the thoughts, see if they're true, see if they're bringing you joy, see if they're useful. Or if you are just so down that you don't have the energy to use your tools that you have, then remembering to just be your own best friend and go, this is fine. You're really blue. It's okay. We can, I can be here with you like this until it passes. Just that self-acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it go away faster. It does. I mean, it really does. It really does. And it's if you want to get like instantly happy. Yeah. I mean, I got my jams and I've got the shows that I want to throw on, but I don't know. I went to the darkest of possible places. Like when all of those tips don't work, the only thing to do is remind yourself that you are fine right now. You're human. It's going to pass. Other things pass, but you don't have to fix anything right now. Just be, just, I'm just going to be here with you till this passes. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, I feel like you've already answered this question, but I'm still going to throw it out there because I ask, I've been asking a lot of people this. This entire podcast has only been done remotely, like during isolation. Oh, yeah. So for anybody out there, any of my listeners who a lot of them are, might be struggling because they're feeling lonely or weird or uncertain during these times, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for anybody out there that uh, is maybe struggling with the issues that you talked about today? You're, you're exactly where you're supposed to be on your journey and mm. that's okay. You're okay where you are right now. Forgive and accept and have compassion for yourself where you are right now and everything passes. Everything passes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks uh, for having me. So fun. Yeah, so much fun. If people want to find what you're doing, what is yeah. the best way to get involved with your body positivity or to also check out your comedy? Sure. Yeah. So come join the group Body Positivity for People with Bodies on Facebook. That'd be a blast. And then if you follow me at Kate Huff Woman on Instagram, that kind of covers both areas. If you want, you can go to katehuffman.com slash free gift and get a guide that breaks down those five questions that I was just telling you about. Mm -hmm. So there's three, there's a couple options. I love it. I love it. Well, put, yeah. we're going to put all that. I always have notes in the episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com so people can check all that stuff out. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. 
Hey, thank you. It was a blast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about all the random shit that life might be throwing at you lately. Some details are in the description, but please check out the episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com for a list of any of the stuff, the resources that we mentioned in this episode. Kate Huffman, if you check out katehuffman.com, she has a free PDF guide on there to get you started on a journey of loving your body more. And I can't think of anything better for anybody to do because those negative thoughts that you are having about yourself over and over again throughout the day. Could you imagine if you freed up that brain space, what you would be able to do instead? I mean, it's like having a superpower, right? So check that out. If you want to find me, I've been your host, Katie Dahl. I am at Katie Dahl on all the things. You can check out at Crying Behind Pod on Instagram or Twitter. And our Facebook support group, again, is facebook.com slash groups slash Crying Behind Pod. It's a really supportive, lovely community on there if you want to join. And please be sure to subscribe, review, rate, or share this podcast with a friend who might enjoy it. Next time you're sad, just throw on your sunglasses. Take a walk outside, and remember, stay cool, stay present, and stay sunny.